Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room with your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell, interviewing the leading doctors in the country to get insights into the best medical treatments available today. Not everyone has access to the best specialists, but you can advocate for yourself and learn the right questions to ask your doctor and the best possible treatment options. Remember, what you know can make a difference in your healthcare. Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. The question is, is it safe to fly on an airplane now? Yes? No? It gets, it's a bit complicated. My guest today is Dr. Mark Jinro. He is the chief medical officer at Beverly Hospital. That's part of the Leahy Health System in uh, Massachusetts. Dr. Jinro is an emergency room physician as well, and he has a special expertise in the transmission of airborne diseases on air travel. So I'm really looking forward to asking him a lot of really relevant, important questions. So welcome, Dr. Jinro, and taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Dean. Okay. All right, let's get right into it. Now, I actually, you came to my attention in actually a, a recent Wall Street Journal article when they were talking about how safe is it to fly. And so the question I really first want to ask you is, should anybody be traveling by plane now, or should there actually be a travel ban considering what's going on in the country? That's a hard question to fully, you know, answer. I would, I would put that the risk of flying is moderate, is like a moderate risk. So I think that if you've got some risk factors or you're over age 60, I'd kind of hold tight for, you know, at least until we start seeing a consistent downward decline in the curve, you know, nationally for you know, so that we have several consecutive weeks of that before I would, I would consider. That makes sense. I think that's good advice because I think that people in general, we know in the medical community, nobody's going to conferences. I think in businesses, they've drastically cut their flight schedules. And it sounds like, it's funny, I was watching Brian Chesky on, uh, I think it was Yahoo Finance the other day, who's the co-founder of Airbnb. And he said, we're really gearing a whole different kind of future, meaning we really think it's going to be a lot of leisure travel, that it's going to be permanently that way. I mean, people from now on, now they're using Zoom, aren't going to feel the need in businesses to be face-to-face. Uh, instead, they're going to be doing Zoom like we're doing right now. Or, But people will still want the experience of travel. And I think for the meantime, many of them are trying it you know, within a driving distance, which makes sense. But eventually, they're going to want to fly somewhere, and but hopefully that'll be in a safer time. So, all right, that's going to move me to my next key question for you. You know, I've always imagined, and I've, and I've heard this analogy, sometimes when we, we go on a plane, we feel like we're in a, a sealed tube with stagnant air. So maybe explain to the listeners, because I've learned a lot, even just reading some of your articles online, why this isn't true. I mean, what is, I mean it, it's probably not even so much the air, it's other issues, but Maybe explain a little bit, and they showed a nice picture in the Wall Street Journal with that article that they quoted you in about how the airflow works in the plane. So maybe just to put people at some ease about that. Yeah, I would say that, you know, that the air circulation and ventilation on aircraft are far superior and safer than an office building or your home. And the reason why is there are several reasons that aviation industry has had 
decades and decades and decades of getting this thing right. And think about, you know, back, I don't know, those of you who flew, you know, like when you were a kid in the 1970s, even in the 1980s, there was a fair amount of people who were smoking on the aircraft. That's right. I remember that. I remember the mist flowing around. (laughs) Right. And so the aviation industry realized that they had to do something about that. They had to have a perfect system that would really rapidly clear the aircraft cabin of smoke and the smell of smoke. Otherwise, you know, a lot of people were not going to travel. So, you know, the aircraft passenger cabin is compartmentalized into, you know, various sections. So, you're, you know, it's not the entire cabin that's sharing the same air. Depending on the size of the aircraft, you have anywhere from three to 12 separate compartments that have been designed within the aircraft cabin. So as a general rule of thumb, you are breathing or you're in the same kind of air as uh, passengers who are three to four rows in front of you and three to four rows behind you, roughly speaking. The other thing uh, to keep in mind is that the circulation basically comes from the top, from the ceilings, and it comes and it comes in a anti-centrif, sort of like a, a clockwise, anti-clock, both in clockwise and anti-clockwise pattern. And then it moves down, and then it moves when it's exiting the cabin. It will exit in a grate at the bottom of the window seats. If next time you're sitting in the window seat, just look down and you'll see a little tiny grate, and that's where the air is leaving. Oh, that's why it always feels cool over there when you're by the window seat. I always thought it was just the window itself, but uh, maybe well, it's, it's the, the air window also. itself, but it's also you know the, the air, air coming and through. being processed to out of the cabin. You know, then the air moves into a mixing chamber. Um, years ago, it used to be that all air in the passenger cabin came from outside through the engines. Was that good? Um, Oh, not good. Well, it was studied, and there had been some instances where the air was contaminated, but there were engineering fixes to to eliminate that risk. Uh, But in the early 70s, there were some problems with that. In modern aircraft, 50% of the air is recycled, and 50% gets exited out of the aircraft. And so that 50% of air that it gets recycled gets mixed with fresh air from outside. It is then conditioned because the outside air is, you know, below zero. And then it's passed through a HEPA filter. And then it's circulated back into the passenger cabin. And that occurs um, at an air exchange rate that typically ranges about 18 to 24 air exchanges per hour. Let me ask you a couple of things just to stop you on that too, because obviously also, which is great, I, I did a little research on you. You have a biophysics degree or something, so this is why you're so good at explaining <laughs> and understanding this. But okay, so yeah, so air is coming from the outside, about 50%. It's mixing in these chambers, going through a HEPA filter. Now, I want to ask you this too, because I, what I did in my own office, I actually bought these $5,000 machines that are a HEPA filter that actually have UV light that supposedly add another level of protection. Are these HEPA filters good enough to remove viruses from the the air, do you think? Or is there a little bit of question there? 
Yeah. So, you, you know, if you would think you, you, uh, I know where you're going with this. You're saying, all right, well, a virus is like, you know, you need an electron microscope to see it, right? Uh, HEPA filters have, you know, micron um, filtration. Right. However, you, um, viruses do not sort of travel in the air, you know, singly. Right. They kind of group. Right. Um, so they're clumped together. Um, so they're, they're bigger in mass, number one. Number two, and more importantly, is Brownian motion, which is a physical force in nature. There's electrostatic force and there's you know, Brownian motion is one of them. Um, and that's the kind of the force that you get with uh, microorganisms that are very tiny and how they adhere to surfaces. Um, and so the Brownian motion causes the virus to just basically get trapped okay. you know, within the structure of the HEPA filter. All right, that, that's, that's good. I have to go back and study my Brownian movement. I definitely remember that from <laughs> physics or chemistry, and I immediately forgot it. But one of the things that you talked about, which is so important, because I never appreciate it, is also when you get on the plane to turn on the air vents overhead. Because typically, a lot of times, I don't like to turn the air vent on, or my wife doesn't like because it bothers her eyes. You like You feel this gush of air, but... As you pointed out, that's extremely important because a lot of times the problems run in, in fact, when airlines don't even turn on the air when you're boarding or eventually when you're going off the plane. And this is when a lot of potential stagnant air, right? So let's say if you were going on the plane and you were going to your seat, and hopefully we'll talk about which airlines are turning on their ventilation as you are boarding, you would turn it on, I think you mentioned to a low medium, but not a high. Is there a reason right. for that too? or? Well, if you turn it on high, the flow becomes so uh, noxious that yeah, you just you can't want to do tolerate it. Right, so right. don't, mm. you know, somebody did a uh, master's thesis um, in a federal lab a number of years ago, actually, you know, it made sense to us that, you know, if you turn on the air vent, that that would kind of create enough turbulence in sort of your air, personal airspace that if there was a viral particle or a bacteria floating around, that it would kind of move it away from your face because that's how, you know, most of us, you know, you mostly bring the infection to yourself, right, through your mucous membranes of your eyes, nose, or mouth. And they found that it, in their hands, uh, it reduced risk by 90%. Those vents. By vents. turning those in. So that's really important. I want the listeners to realize when you get to your seat, turn on your vent, which I'm going to do when I eventually get on a plane. Yeah, to get scared. The other air. thing that it does is, you know, there's, um, there's uh, most of the airflow is from the ceiling down in sort of a circular fashion, right? Okay. But there is a slight uh, longitudinal front to back within that area. Okay. Um, and so the air vents are really good at sort of knocking out the longitudinal flow risk. Well, let me ask you too, and also why wouldn't, now they mentioned on, I think it was in this article, another article I was reading, the Delta Southwest, we have to give a shout out to these JetBlue Frontier and Alaska Airlines, are routinely turning on the ventilation when you're boarding and departing the plane. Why wouldn't other airlines do this? I mean, they know people are afraid. Is it, I mean, should this be a mandatory rule? Not, not just like, yeah. It absolutely has to be. You know, one of the one of the things a recent paper came out, uh, which I think was very important. 
that came out um, the first week in uh, July. And it basically were two aviation modelers, and they modeled boarding and getting off aircraft. Um, and they used, um, you know, pretty good infectious uh, transmission equations. And um, the, your, the greatest risk was, you know, during getting on the aircraft and getting off the aircraft. And think about the last time you flew. You know, you, the plane taxis to the to the gateway, and then you're anxious to get off the aircraft. Oh, gosh, and, everybody you know, starts jumping up. You, you hear the chimes, and everybody jumps right. up. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's like a mouse in a you know an experiment. It right? is, <laughs> and then the aisles are just jam packed. Right. This is awful. And um, you know, you're busy getting up and trying to get your luggage overhead. Right. And then things kind of get quiet, right? Dead quiet. And then yes. about 10 minutes later, then you hear like a hissing sound. And then you hear like the ventilation turn on again. Oh, wow. And so what that is, is it's the ground crew hooking up what is called the APU, the auxiliary power unit, so that the ventilation can go. Now, when you're looking at aircraft, you know, out the window at, in the terminal, you'll notice that they all have that little tiny engine in the back in the tail. And so that engine does a number of things, but one of the roles that that engine does is it's geared towards basically, you know, managing, you know, giving power to the ventilation system when the aircraft is on the tarmac. Um, but a lot of um, um, some airports don't like that engine running because of emissions, but guess what it does? It burns fuel and Fuel. Yeah, we talk about money. It's always about money. Yeah. Well, let's get to the next thing about money. Let's talk about airline seating. Now, we want to find out how safe, you know, which is the best seat in the house, literally. You know, back in the day, not too long ago, it used to be, all be about paying for legroom. You'd pay for extra legroom on JetBlue. You'd pay for extra legroom, of course, if you were in business or first class versus coach. I think now the new term is going to be elbow room. <laughs> so tell me what's the best seat in the house on a plane? I mean, what, you know, if you were flying, where would you want to be seated? And, you know, literally the aisle versus the window versus the front versus the back and, you know, and the risk. So let's hear your expertise. On so that. here's my, here's what I do is I always book flights early because I want to sit within the first five rows. The yeah, reason too. why <laughs> is that, the ventilation is just slightly better in the front of all aircraft, just slightly. I'm always looking for a good, uh, a whatever better advantage I can Well, isn't that get. usually, though, uh, business class? <laughs> 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 is Leahy Clinic paying for this? I, mean, I just want no, to. No, I, I don't fly business. I just oh, get, it, you know, like. Uh, just get earlier. Get okay. Blue or, or okay. South that's all right. I mean, look, we have to, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, the second the second thing is um, I like window because, um, you know, I would fly window in, you know, for the next several months. What, uh, why? Because the people well, passing because by you're you? Gonna, you're, you're, you know, so a lot of airlines are trying to not, you know, get rid of the middle seat, not put anybody in the middle seat. Are they really doing that? They're really trying to, they're really going to give up that income. I, I was curious. Okay. Um, I mean, they don't want to, and, but... And is that still enough? I mean, like, really, I mean, we're talking about, it's not the six feet. We, we know that. I mean, that's, you know, again, we saw the aerosol studies from Florida Atlantic. It's been all over CNN and everything, how far 
you know, a cough or sneeze can travel. I mean, yeah. taking away one seat is maybe a foot and a half. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it, I mean, it's the best social distancing that you're going to get. Um, and that's why, you know, when it comes to risk on the aircraft, right, you think of um, four things that basically impact the risk. Number one is proximity. How close are you to whoever is transmitting something? The second is duration. How long are you seated next close to them? And then the third is ventilation. And then the fourth is the source, what we call the source strength. How the, the infectiousness of the person. So we really can't ever, you know, trying to quantitate the infectiousness of somebody, it, I mean, it's being tried. That's pretty tough. Can't yeah, do. you don't know what stage they are. I mean, we're, now, we're finding out now children are highly infectious, potentially, to, you know, when they're asymptomatic, asymptomatic even more than adults. It's, you know, yeah. that's another issue. So the ventilation, you know, off the table once it's in, once you're in flight, because, you know, you're getting, you're getting about 21 air exchanges an hour. Um, you've got the, um, your extra air vent on. So that plays a big role, and that's in your control. Then proximity, you want to try to, you know, the 6 to 13 feet is, you know, best. And then duration. Duration, you know, like for the hospital, you know, what we considered a significant exposure was within six feet for more than 15 minutes. Well, that's going to be obviously a plane oh, you cannot right. avoid it. That's right away. That goes <laughs> right. out right. Well, that's why it's such a danger in, in a sense, or you know, a higher risk. The other point I was going to make was uh, what your location is to the bathroom, because I just have to point this out to the listeners, because I, I made my own self-discovery after a few vacations that were ruined. I had gotten, I went, I waited such a long time to go on a vacation with my wife to Italy once. And I was there, and on the second day, I started having like fevers, chills, and it took you know it took me a week to get better. And I was so annoyed because I actually had gone like business class. I you know saved up some extra money, all excited about this big trip. And I looked back and I said, "What did I do that I got sick?" And I thought about one or two other times too when I traveled. Maybe I thought maybe I'm more susceptible, but I realized I used the bathroom. And we'll talk about this thing. I mean, the bathroom is a viral brew, and ever since then myself and for all of my patients, I've always advised them, when you go to the bathroom, if you have to go, try not to, but if you have to go, I bring my own gloves, you know, my you know, gl rubber gloves from the office and people can get them from the TSA. I put those on, you know, and I do my things. I make sure not to touch anything. And since that time, I've never gotten sick. So what is it about the bathroom? And do you have to worry about your proximity to the bathroom? I mean, obviously there's a lot of people using it in a very small space. Has it gotten any better? I see they use sometimes now blue lights in it. As, but, you know, again, it's like touching the surfaces, I think, that are huge. So the, the three surfaces that you need to be concerned about in the bathroom in order of the highest is the door, the, the, yeah. you know, the thing you open to right. open and mm -hmm. lock it. Yeah, I use um, those for that. Mm -hmm. The, the uh, turning on the water, okay. uh, the, the, the handle. And then the pushing on the soap dispenser. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, the toilet seat really doesn't, you know. Yeah, that's the right. I mean, that's the myth. <laughs> it, it is right. Myth. 
So what I do is, you know, um, I do still use the soap and water when I'm using the bathroom there. I don't wear gloves, but then when I come back to the seat, the first thing I do before I do anything is I sanitize my hands with um, gel sanitizer. That's at right. least sixty yeah. percent uh, ethyl alcohol. What about your? What you know? Talking about going back to your seat. What about at your seat? Like when you get on, my wife's actually very thorough about this, so she makes my life a little bit easier. She brings along her special Clorox wipes, and she wipes down the. Uh, I guess the what do we call it? The tray. She wipes down the monitors, the armrests. Good idea. I mean, does that really make sense or is it over the top? No, it's a good idea. The, the areas that have the most contamination is, um, you know, there's a, a environmental hygiene scientist by the name of Dr. Gerber out of the University of Arizona. He's done a full career on sending grad students out everywhere, including on planes to go collect, um, you know, do the swab of surfaces and bring it back to the lab and let's see what grows out. Um, and he's found that, uh, you know, that little pouch that they have the magazines that everybody oh, gosh, puts, yeah. puts their their uh, scone that they bought from Starbucks <laughs> uh, right. for later yeah. on in the flight. Yeah. That's one of the most contaminated. Oh, that's a good point to know. Because sometimes I put my magazines there, but I'm like, I'm a little petrified of that too, you know. And then the other one, well, people like the people who were on the flight before you probably blew their nose and put their tissue there. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. Oh, gross. Right. And then the other one is. We need, we need airline hygiene here. You know, there should be like a course you have to take before you can go on the plane. <laughs> okay. The other one is, you know, that little white cloth or colored cloth that's on the top of the seat that your head goes back on. Oh, that's no. being shown yes. to be contaminated too. Is that right? You know, it's so funny. My wife also, oh, as I told you, she's so great to travel with. She brings her little Burberry like cover for the seat. I'm like, what are you doing? People are going to think I'm this super fancy person. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're trying to go in style, but I think she's got a point. So I don't know, I'm in trouble. No, on it's that actually one. good to be a Colombo like person. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it does. Well, let's say, let's take it another level up. Let's talk about protective gear. And, you know, of course, I think everyone's going to be wearing face masks. I mean, I, th I think airlines are going to require it, even, although how long people keep them on is going to be another whole issue. I'm going to tell you something that I use in my office. I'm curious what you think about this. I use the face shields a lot. I find them to be a lot more comfortable. They, I can breathe when I have you know, when I'm on them, but yet it's protecting me and it's also protecting people around me. What, what do you think about that if people wore face shields you know, on the plane. I mean, I, you know, you, you know, the other thing too is you can actually, what I like in the office is that I can see, you know, the patients can see me. And if I think if patients were, I would like it as well because I can, you know, it's such, it's such a surprise when they take their mask off. It's like, you know, you just, you don't recognize their facial expression. So what, what's your thought about face shields? And So face shields alone, they'll protect you. Um, you know, I mean, the whole purpose of face masks, you know, they've really been designed to basically protect the environment from okay. droplets, right? right? So the idea is if everybody's wearing a mask, there's no droplets in the environment, so okay. everybody is protected. Right. And the filtration efficiency, you know, varies, but it's probably, as you know, a regular face mask's probably got a filtration efficiency of about 75% of, for droplets. You can actually make a face mask into a makeshift N95. There's a, a bunch of Apple engineers 
who basically have a website. It's called fixthemask.com. And they walk you through how you um, basically make your face mask into an N95 um, by just securing it in a tighter fashion. I've tried it. It's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but if uh, people want to take a look at that website, it is kind of interesting. What is the Apple? What is the website again? It's uh, fix f i x the mask dot com. But like when I'm working clinically in the emergency department, um, I do you know I wear my face mask and I wear a face shield. And the reason why we like we're wearing face shields um, in the ED. And in the hospital is there was a virologist who basically came down with COVID. I think it was probably in early May. And um, the only way that it was, you know, thought how he got this was through, he wasn't wearing any goggles. Yeah, because, well, you can think about it. Somebody sneezes, coughs or whatever, or if you can touch something and then you touch your eyes, we know the eyes are as the mucous membranes. So that's why I like the shield. You also don't, you know, with the mask, you still will touch your face and your eyes for sure. With the shield, you know, what I did the other day, I got people to laugh was I, I bought a drink at Dunkin' Donuts. I like the iced coffee there. And I started to take a drink, but I forgot I had my shield on and boom, hit the barrier. So uh, I don't know. I like, but do you think the shields also prevent me from spreading it with the droplets? Because it's, it's still, you know, it's a, it's a shield, you know, and, they, and they're setting up. Let's just say, you know, like, if you were asymptomatic, but you were shedding vi- uh, COVID-19 right. viruses, right? right? There was actually a, a good op-ed on this um, in um, the New York Times, um, and I think it was in May, that talked a lot about this. You know, they, the, the, I think the title was, it's about, you know, um, how much you're exposed to. Not Right. That's but, right. Right. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know... The, what the what the data is kind of telling us is that we have these very short ranged aerosols that basically just come out with just normal uh, speaking and whatnot, and they will just kind of they're imperialist to gravity, so they'll just rise up. So a face mat, uh, a shield won't do anything for that. Well, are you saying though, so that let's say I coughed and I have the shield on, mm-hmm. I would think a lot of it's going to hit the shield. The it stuff is. that goes below the shield, that's going to then go up and then make a U-turn up to hit, affect somebody else. We want to just go straight to the ground. Well, I mean, some- when, when, when you cough though, I mean, uh, you know, I think Mythbusters did it during uh, the swine flu. They uh-huh. did, you can get, you can, you know, if you do Mythbusters and swine flu cough, you'll see it. That the spray just does. If the spray goes all over the place, it goes yeah, okay. down to the side. I mean, right, it's right. Over. I get you seeing. I get. I see what you're saying. You know, it's interesting too because I saw. I think it was Alitalia is trying to put up shields between the seats. I mean, everybody's trying to make everybody feel more comfortable, which I thought was interesting too. Again, you do feel a little bit safer, but you're saying. You know, unless they put a bubble around them, it's not going to do a heck of a lot. Like a little bit of a, a shield, you know, you know, like a shield. Like well, a lot of times you're seeing it in offices, you're seeing it at banks and everything too. They have a, you know, they have a little bit of a shield there. You know, like as they used to have like in those uh, open food uh, markets. You know, when you used to you go so you don't you know sneeze on the the food in the uh, in those salad bars. So maybe it's more psychological than it is really protective. 
All right, let me, let's go on to something else. Like what you mentioned about, you know, being in the range of an infected person. And I think there was a study that was done on SARS, which is another coronavirus. It showed that one person on a flight infected 22 other people. And as you mentioned earlier, sometimes you, you, you have to sort of assume that you're breathing in the air of other passengers within two to five rows of you. So what do you do? Do you just, you, you go with the group of people you trust? I mean, should people, I, I guess we're going to get to this later. Do you think that people should, um, not just voluntarily, but mandatory, have a, a recent negative COVID test to get on a plane? I mean, shouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that bring a lot of, it would be a lot of hassle for the airlines, but it's probably doable, you know, that people get a test. Uh, actually, I have a friend of mine who's traveling to Europe next week. Uh, he has to go there and I'm arranging for a test for him because they said the country will not let him in without a 48-hour negative COVID test. So why not before you even get on a plane, shouldn't the plane say you need within 48 hours a negative COVID? What, what's holding everybody back from that? Yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I bet if the airline, you know, if I was president of a air carrier, I would do actually a trial where, you know, how, how, um, uh, some flights have adults only, you know, like so is have do a flight from a, you know, a common, um, hub to a common other uh, destination and just, have a requirement that you need to have testing and um, within 72 hours, you know, like for elective surgical cases. Right. They're doing that now. Right. They're doing that now. Two hours. um, You know, I do, we're on the cusp of having tests that are instantaneous. Yeah. The point of care test, right. I'm I'm hopefully getting one of those machines. It's the Sophia machine. That's one of them. And it's interesting because, yeah, you get the answer within 10 minutes. And again, if people, we, we all used to have to get to the airlines two or three hours ahead of time to avoid the, you know, the terrorists and the hijackers. Well, if you had to come two, three hours ahead of time, if you didn't have, if let's say you're one of those few people, I mean, you know, it's almost like the, um, what do they call it? I'm forgetting, where you can go on the airline without, you know, pre-check type of thing. Well, if you have a negative COVID within 48 hours, then you get to go through. If you don't, pull you over. You got to do one of these, co- they're really not that expensive, the point of care test. Because I see you know, from what's going to cost me to do it on patients. And, um, but that they should have to do it because I think once you get to that kind of level, these people are going to be a lot more comfortable getting on a plane. So, yeah, I know of one company who have a, they're in the process of um, uh, getting FDA approval and in their hand, their test, um, and they have plans to do, to sell it to, you know, to, to distribute it to hospitals, but they're also des- um, um, going to design a home. I think they're going to design a home kit. Yeah. Um, and um, you get your answer within uh, 10 to 20 seconds. Wow. And it's, wow. Uh, it's that's what you do is you swab, you, you stick your tongue out and you take a swab and you just swab, you just roll swab your tongue. tongue. Wow. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot so of brilliant things out there. They just have to, yeah, this is where our, but, you know, again, like people always say about leadership and whether it's the airline industries that, you know, I mean, if somebody wants to differentiate themselves from another airline, trust me, they'll be overrun by people down the line when they know they have to get somewhere, they want to see a family member, there's something important they want to do, but they want to feel safe. This is doable. It's always, it's, the question is always about money, but you know what? 
And the other thing I actually wanted to bring up is that, because as you were mentioning too, a lot of the issues about being infected are when, when the plane is ready to depart, you know, they hear the ding, you know, and uh, they, everybody jumps up and goes to get their luggage. Maybe sh- people shouldn't be allowed to bring on any carry-on, you know, again, less touching points. So again, the same way I always tell my patients, life has never been the same after 9-11. We just had to learn to take off our shoes at the airport and, you know, get wanded down or go through that, that little CT scan or whatever it is, that this will be also the new normal. And that once we accept that, life will go back to a little bit of a new normal and um, that'll be less of an issue. Because, you know, again, the airline industry and travel is such a huge part of our, our economy. Um, what do you think about the stewards and the stewardesses? Are, are, are they a, a problem because they're obviously constantly traveling? They're, I mean, should they get you know? Should they change their role? I mean, I that you know, should they be walking down the aisle taking drinks from everybody, giving out snacks? I mean, obviously, should people maybe not be, tr- be allowed to drink alcohol on the plane? I mean, what's what's your yeah? So a lot of you know what what uh, airlines are doing is um, they're moving to where you basically pre-order what you want on the flight in terms of drinks and whatnot, because they do, they want to minimize any Contact, up and yeah. down of the flight attendants. Yes. Um, could be a robot thing. That, that, I could definitely see the robot. I think Google's working on that right now. The, the goal, the, probably the uh, driverless uh, pilot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to know now for all our listeners, Dr. Genro's plan to staying safe and take me through the steps from the moment you're ready to leave your house, what you're packing up and doing till you, till you get to the airport, which I assume hopefully you're going to have somebody drive you instead of taking, you know, mass transit. Take me through what you do. If I was, if I was accompanying you on a conference to, uh, you know, to Florida, what would you do to uh, stay safe? I would take an Uber to the airport. I would take an Uber. Okay. Yeah. Um, And um, I'd get out of the, out of the vehicle, I would sanitize my hands and um, I'd go and check in. I would not do carry-on luggage. Would I you also get, like have your seat ahead of time probably? You know, maybe have right. it on your phone, all that I kind of stuff. To, right? want, as, as much as I can, I'd have contact. To, yeah. you know, minimize contact. I like to do early morning flights so that the airport isn't crowded and I can get through security really quick. I think in this right now, you could go at any hour. It's and not an issue. I, I know somebody at Kennedy Airport, they, a worker there told me, they used to have 100,000 people a day there. Last week, they were having 2,500 people a day. So, yes, I, I, think, I think the uh, – but that's going to change. Okay. Yeah. All right, so keep going. So you're heading off to the gate. Do you go to – would you go to a, uh, one of the lounges if you, ha- if you had like a, a certain kind of, you know, membership, like a Delta lounge, or would you just sit in the waiting room? I, I, I would go to a Delta lounge. You know, they're going to – I think there's going to be less people there, uh, more better opportunity to social distance. And then – you know, I would, um, I generally, as I like to do that, you know, the, the front. What do you think about boarding? Let's just talk about that for one second. Do you think the planes, like, okay, back in the, recently, I mean, if you were business first class or, you know, whatever, you had young children, you went on first. Then they went, you know, and then, of course, all the middle people went past you. And then, of course, the poor people in the, when I say poor, I mean, the people had to go all the way to the back of the plane, go past everybody. Should they change that? Right? Should they do the reverse? Should you know? You know, as far as the people sitting all the way in the back, maybe they should go in first. What do you think? Yeah. At one time, I flew Southwest Airlines. Now, you know, the aircraft can 
accommodate 135 people. By the time they got through, you know, like, all right, you know, everybody. Yes, everybody's got a thing. <laughs> and everybody who has a kid and everybody right. who's this. And, you know, this was in the era where there wasn't any, you know, Southwest didn't have any, like, you know, preferred frequent flying stuff. But by the time they got through all their pre-categories, you know, I ended up way in the back. I mean, there was literally like, you know, like eight seats left. So there's... You know, this paper that came out in July basically looked at this and they looked at various ways of boarding and getting off aircraft. And the safest was, you know, single people, like one by one, and to board the aircraft um, using both the front and the back entrances. Yes, yes, right. That was back in the day they used to do that, right? Right, you can get people on the aircraft Um, quicker that way and um, you just minimize the flow within the aisles and and um, I think that you know until we have a reliable vaccine and we've got really good herd immunity um, that we should check in you know the airline should say everything gets checked in except sort of like a Right. You know, you're, you're right. like, so like a very small carrier that you could put on your lap under your seat, right. you know, something small like that. And you just made me think about something else too. Now, this is an issue. I mean, should it also be sectionalized by age or whatever, or conditions? Like, I mean, think about this. I've seen this before too. You have an elderly person. I saw one time I was on a flight, there was an elderly person next to me who was on oxygen. Another time, this is kind of a funny story. I was on a very small plane coming back from the Caribbean and I, I went to my seat. I hope this is a funny story for everybody. I wasn't wearing my glasses and I sat in a seat and then right next to me, this couple came with a small baby, an infant baby that was screaming and crying. And they put, they, of course they plopped the, 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 uh, the, the little seat for the baby on top of the, the, the tray. And I'm like, Oh no, this is going to be a very long flight. And then this older man came up to me and started being very actually nasty to me. He said, you're sitting in my seat. And I, then I flipped my glasses down. I realized I was in the wrong seat and I quickly ran out of there. So he got that seat. But what do you do when you have like a young child who you can't control, an infant, whatever's crying, this and that, we know spewing out stuff. And they might be sitting next to a, you know, 75 year old man that, you know, has COPD. What, I mean, again, I know we're taking this to a bit of an extreme, but should that be an issue? I mean, you know, should there be a section, you know, the senior section I, I, on the plane? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, you know, to that. Well, there's a right medical answer to it. But the question is, is it, is it going to be like socially undesirable? Say, oh, you got to go sit in the senior section, but maybe they'll like that. I mean, people like senior discounts and stuff. So maybe they should be, I hope they're not in the front of the plane because I want to be in the front of the plane. But, you know, maybe there should be a section where if you're over a certain age, you know, that again, from what you're saying is if, it, if the airflow is for certain regions, but anyway, that's just a, just a thought. So anyway, so you go to your, you're in your, you're in the lounge, Delta lounge. And then they say, okay, your flight is boarding. You head to the, you know, you head to the gate and uh, you, you know, you show your phone, whatever, maybe has your ticket on it. This way you're not dealing with paper that you head in onto the plane and take me through it again too. So you go to your seat and what are you doing? So, you know, I quickly, you know, sit down, I turn on the overhead vent, I adjust it. And what I do is um, I just put my palms up onto my lap, you know, halfway between my knees and my pelvis. And I point the thing so that I can, and I turn on the intensity so I can kind of feel a little bit of flow there. 
Okay. Um, and then I, you know, put on my seatbelt. Um, and then I put down the seat back tray. I don't bring Clorox wipes on, but what I do is I get my hand sanitizer out and I put a few drops on the seat back tray, then take a Kleenex and I wipe it down and, and do the same with the, you know, uh, whatever I think I'm going to touch. And then I sanitize my hands and then I, I'm, I'm good to go. Okay. Um, I think these are all great tips. So uh, I'm going to summarize for our listeners some of the things that we've talked about. And at the end, if you want to just add anything. So essentially, I think any traveler with common sense would know, don't travel if you think you have a cold and, or feel you've been exposed to somebody recently that's been sick. You know, do that courtesy to your other fellow travelers. As Dr. Jen Rowe mentions, turn on that overhead air vent. You know, it may be, seem a little bit annoying, but it's going to be much better for your air circulation. Also, avoid contact and hopefully don't bring any carry-on luggage and putting it into overhead bins. And this way you don't have to carry it around and be closer to other people as you're either, you know, coming on board or departing the plane. Bring along with you some great uh, Clorox wipes and, you know, clean up your armrests and the monitor where you might be watching TV and the headrests. As he mentioned, I, I, I had forgotten about that. I preferably like to wear gloves if you go into the bathroom. It's my tip. And maybe wear a face mask or anything too because you never know again any of the aerosolized stuff in the bathroom. The bathroom, unfortunately to me, is a toxic place on a plane of all, of all the places. Dr. General mentions if you can get that aisle seat and not to get the window seat, you know, you get a good view, but again, less exposure to other passengers. And my last point too, it makes sense to you know, try to drink water to stay hydrated. As you mentioned, I think in one of your articles that, you know, Planes are, have very dry air, and we know the more dehydrated you are, the more likely you are to possibly get an infection. Also, a good idea to avoid alcohol, not only because that dehydrates you, but it also in, it lowers your uh, inhibition to, to doing certain things, being socially distancing, and again, it's just not a great idea. Possibly avoid the snacks from the stewardess. You never know <laughs> what could be who touched them. So any other pointers, Dr. Genro? Or? No, I think that... You know, I, I think you hit on all the important things. The only thing I would just add is, you know, in terms of the, in the bathroom, particularly on, you know, overseas flights, bring your bottled water into the bathroom. If you're going to go brush oh, your teeth, don't great use idea. that water. Don't use that water to wash your face in the... Why is that? Because... So there, um, there's problems with coliform... Um, bacterial contamination. Um, they've gotten a lot better. It used to be that you could get on the um, Environmental Protection Agency website yeah. and you could actually uh, see where they inspected and where they found some problems, uh, but they have taken that off. What uh, about water for coffee or tea? Is it from the same kind of... No, uh, they- I that's think separate? that they bring that, you know, that that's okay. That's good to know. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to again, thank Dr. Mark Jinro for educating all of us on how to fly safely during this whole COVID epidemic. Eventually we have to get back to some kind of new normal. And I think by taking a lot of these steps and maybe hopefully if the airlines are listening to this podcast, they'll do some steps as well to make everybody safer and enjoy traveling again. Thank you, Dr. Jinro. Thanks, Dean. Thank you for listening to The Smartest Doctor in the Room with host Dr. Dean Mitchell. You can continue this conversation on Instagram at Dean Mitchell MD, Facebook at Mitchell Medical Group, or 
at deanmitchellmd.com. 